This week on the Tough Public Podcast, we review all the games for round three. Italy give Ireland the scare in Rome. Marcus Smith has now dropped from the England squad, so we chat about that alongside their big win in the Principality Stadium. And finally, we chat about France-Scotland. Was it one that got away from Scotland? And are France holding things back? The Rugby World Cup. Enjoy. Sadly, Zach's not with us this week. Hello, welcome back to Tough Rugby Podcast. Please denounce, I've got the usual man in the studio, Harvey Parcher. How are you? Are you missing someone? We sure are, mate. It's just me and you today. Um, yeah, no, good to be back on the pod. Another great weekend of Ruggers. Um, but yeah, just me and you today, lad. See how we go, eh? <laughs> oh, everyone, everyone's busy. Um, so yeah, Zach, Zach's out in Japan. So he's actually sent a wee, wee message into us. So we'll pop it in now, Zach. So far away, Zach. All right, lads. Um, it's currently evening here in Japan. Um, getting ready to go to bed, but I thought I'd just send a wee voice note. Um, just giving my thoughts on the weekend's rugby. I'll be honest, due to time difference issues, I watched none of it. I was too jet lagged to watch Ireland at Lee on um, Saturday night, I'm afraid. Sorry. But um, from the highlights that I watched, I mean, Ireland getting the wins, just, you know, get it over the line. It's important. I'm sure you guys will chat a lot about that. Um, yeah, Wales are just not great. <laughs> there really wasn't any. Um, I guess any bounce back from the from the off the field issues, and I mean Scotland, France, France just know how to win in Paris. It's as simple as that. And the question is, I suppose, just will this scupper Scotland's momentum? Will they keep it going for the World Cup? Will they bounce bounce back now? But you know, was that where does it leave Scotland now? Kind of third place is that enough? I don't know. But anyway, boys, have a great pod, and uh, I'll see you next week. Oh, it's nice to hear, Zach. Have a good time out in Japan, isn't it? Or- yeah, no, it is. It definitely is. Um, one of those countries that I think we all want to go to. It's just really cool. Uh, I'd, lo- I'd love to go to Japan. Um, but yeah, no, he's having a great time. So fair play to the lad. I'm sure he'll be back fighting and ready to go next week. Uh, what about you then? Did you enjoy the Ruggers at the weekend? Yeah, no, it was good. Um, had some really good games, didn't we, to be fair? Um, yeah, I was partly watching the matches, partly on a little trip in Dublin. So, you know, really soaking up that rugby atmosphere. Um, yeah, no, it was it, it was good. It was good to see um, some interesting results. The coming of age maybe for for Italy, for Scotland, you know, there's some, there's some good narratives to take, I think, from this weekend. Um, but yeah, interesting. What about yourself? Ah, yes, just the usual. Just knocking about watching it. I wasn't doing anything exciting, unlike you boys, so. It's a shame, but why were the pubs packed out then? Yeah, yeah, no, it was absolutely rammed. I think every pub was... It, it, honestly, I just can't keep up with the Irish. You guys have got another level of stamina. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm out there at like 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday and everyone's absolutely bladded. Every pub's rammed. Like, it's ridiculous. Slam is on. Well, we'll get into it. <laughs> so the slam is on. As you've seen, all the Irish are excited. You did a Six Nations weekend in Dublin without meaning to. So, yeah. So, bonus point win for Ireland. Job done. There's no real way to look at it other than the job done. But Italy did come. Italy played. Italy scored. But I think the performance was adequately not done. And, like, bonus point is... I know they've been cracking them out recently, but 
away in Rome. It wasn't a gimme the way Italy were playing. You just had to get that one done. And there, there's always things to look at of an Italy performance. And foreign players haven't really said it's tough going out to Rome and getting yourself up for it when you kind of know. And yeah, good, good job, the Irish boys. Yeah, no, I think to be honest, I actually think we're at a point now. It was very similar to the to the French game a little bit, where Rome is just maybe it is like you said, it's a complacency thing. Maybe the players haven't quite adjusted yet to the demands that I think Rome are going to bring over the next couple of years. Um, but for sure, like they're they're a competitive side. I think for me, the biggest thing was like maybe not the forwards are quite up to standard yet. I still don't think they're quite there in terms of the actual core pack. But you start looking at that back line with Garbisi coming back in. I think Lex is or Rex, whatever his name is, is doing a really good job in that um in that center role. And then you've got Caputo, Bruno, Padovani. Yeah. You've got some really good players who have actually got a bit of talent on them, who are playing and orchestrating that back line. And and you start to see it come alive. That's why I think they're now scoring points. It might be that they're still leaking just as much as they always have. Um, and maybe that is a forward thing. Maybe that's just a defensive thing in general, a mindset thing. But they're starting to string together some really good plays. And another big thing, actually, touching on defence, was the intercept try that Bruno got. If you look at the way Ireland played throughout that game, it, the I mean, like, the support runners and the way you were scoring tries was a joke. It, it reminded me of, like, France when they first started this upturn sort of thing. It was just constant support lines, constant energy. You know, you got Matt Hansen floating into the centre. you got Bundiaki everywhere, just on every single support line, every single little half-line break. It was man, it was mental, um, scary to watch as well. To be fair, but but they they noticed it, they witnessed it, and you know they managed to pull off a good intercept by reading it. it was great from Bruno. Don't think it was luck at all. I think he completely planned it. Um, and fair play to them. You know, I think um, like you said, they're not quite there yet. And when they're playing, it's tough when the, <laughs> the home games you've got is Ireland and France because you can't really validate probably where you're actually at you know i think if if i don't know if they've got any more home games left but um you know home game against england or a home game against um, wales Wales. they've got the the big one that'll be the huge one that'll be the huge one well we said pre-tournament game was to get three points and everyone after the first game was like oh they're gonna do it they're gonna do it they're gonna do it but they're still only on one point now and i i said that after week one is it's the six nations is tough and if, yeah. if you're on a wee run of not getting points, it's hard to pick them up. Because if Wales can respond, then you're going into the final game needing a win. So this losing bonus, free losing bonus points is tough. Well, they could grab a losing bonus points against Wales and grab them in the last game against Scotland. But I think they're gonna. I still think I still think Italy are gonna beat Wales. Um, I'm convinced of it. I think I think this Italy side is more than good enough nowadays. I think they can just put uh, too many points on the board to not do we'll, it. We'll, be, we'll get on the previews uh, next week, but people yeah. are saying that it, they're favourites, like genuine. There is that's this, mental, there, isn't it? That's just yeah. mental. Does that, does that, Rob? Because we're, we're giving Italy love here and deserves to be Italy love, but do you think, and that's us not like putting in time to give Italy love, that is genuine. We want to talk about them, and that yeah. shows where a time rugby is, isn't it? For me, the biggest thing is, I think, over the last few years, and maybe this is me just being wrong, but they've scored tries, as most teams do. You know, they're not complete idiots. But it's always just been dead rubbers. They're 40-0 down, and they score a couple when the team's basically in second gear. They almost brought the game within four points of bringing the game back to Ireland. Like, it's not like they were out of it. I know the scoreline right at the end looked probably a little bit more flattering to Italy, to Ireland, sorry. 
Um, but there's no doubt they brought that back. Like they, they were competitive and they, they had Ireland worried at 70 minutes. Like Ireland had to put their foot back on the pedal. And there's been years and years and time and time again in previous Six Nations where you can play 30 minutes against Italy and win the match and you never have to put your foot on the pedal again after that. And I think we're now seeing a team that actually deserves a bit of respect, a bit of concentration, a bit of preparation for them. Um, and I think yeah, that's a good thing. Watch, it's just a general good thing for the entire tournament. If you watch, it's about 10 minutes to go. There's only 10 points. There's seven points in it. And then Brex goes for that crossfield kick, which goes dead. That was the moment there. If, if that yeah. went to hands. And you like, saw it, I think, was it with Tommaso Allen against... Uh, was it France or someone who um you know that and that was the moment in that match it was they, they are just to, the one yeah, big moment coming, away coming down to individual you're right it's a good point coming down to individual moments which you're getting wrong and that's just inexperience and you get once you know your winners you get those moments right and that that's all it's coming down to a crossfield kick a kick to touch which isn't far enough that's it because if they score there 27 all it's on instead Ireland Brief sigh of relief. It's actually, if you watch it back, Matt Canson does really well in defence, comes off his wing, puts the shot on, puts the pressure on the crossfield kick, and then it goes dead, who deservedly was man of the match. Ireland up the other end. Bit of magic for Conor Murray, Hansen in the sticks. And that's someone I want to give a bit of love to. We've been kind of doing it all Six Nations, but Murray came out with the big play. It was a bit like, you know, an NFL, just, what do you want to play? Yep, touchdown. That type of vibe, he just... He's the man, I'm the man, here's the play, boom. And there there actually is, I know probably you're not as swapped up in your Irish provincial rugby, but he is genuinely, there is conversations. Craig Casey is kind of out and out first, not out and out, but like favourite to start these European games coming up. Paddy Patterson has been playing nearly week in, week out because both these guys are gone and has been really in the mix, and a lot of people want him to be on the bench for Casey. So there's genuine chat that he's third choice at Munster, and he's coming off the bench, pulling pulling out matchman and moments for Ireland. That is mentality. Yeah, that and that, that's one of those dilemmas, if this Paddy Patterson fellow, as you said, um, continues to progress at Munster, where, you know, coming into the World Cup and everything, it's a decision that Andy Farrell's going to have to make. And we've seen it in other countries, you know, seeing it with Eddie Jones, not technically picking off club form. But Conor Murray is definitely someone that you can always trust, I believe, in a green shirt. And that shouldn't necessarily be um, reflective of his club career. It should just be, what has he done in an Irish shirt? And how good has he been in this Irish shirt? And he's always been solid. May may have had a little downturn just as kind of, the narrative was picking up, but I believe that was at a time when Ireland just generally weren't doing very well anyway. Um, and he certainly picked it back up again. And he certainly, like you said, shown on the weekend exactly why he should be in the squad and just offer such a sure hand. It's like, it makes complete sense to me for him to be the guy you bring on. And, you know, and, and it even proved in this game, you know, we usually look at him and go, Oh, he's just the kind of guy who shores it up, you know, keeps it safe. Um, runs the game down but he sat in there got a match winning moment it's um yeah he's no he's quality he's absolutely quality Conor Murray and Big plays, I think he fully it? deserves to be in this in the silent squad then another player that had a big night was well before we get on to that um, Craig Casey it feels like Craig Casey he's good he has good performance but he's not had his coming of age game do you know the game where you're like wow yeah like Freddie Sturt's had his Mark Smith actually never had his kind of because <laughs> it's obviously we'll get on to that. 
But I feel when you're just in the environment and all the hype's around you, you need your coming of age game where you just get man of the match and go, I'm here for 100 caps. Yeah, you probably won't be there for 100 caps, but we all think, yeah, yeah, he's going to do it for 100. Harry Arundale even done his off the bench. Um, well, it hasn't done his from the start, but again, we'll get on yeah. to that. But yeah, Theo Craig Hissing is so rock solid, does zips it left, zips it right, got great service. You even mentioned great services, but just maybe hasn't had that game where He's really grabbed it, but it's hard again. Firing on the back foot, room away for him to change things. So it'll be interesting if they ever do give Casey a, a big boy start. England at England at Aviva for a slam type thing. Let's see what you can do. Yeah. I just don't feel like if I don't even saying that, it doesn't feel it's not feels that still much. Too I early. feel like it's a Craig Casey type of game. It's um yeah, no, it's weird, isn't it? I think, yeah, you're you're exactly right. And it, it's odd because the nine in general tends to offer more of a support role than anything and just supply the 10. But then also, no, they dictate play. And it's, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think Craig Casey should be, do you think he should have had the moment already? Or do you think he's just not had the opportunity to have it? I wouldn't say he's really young now. Like, it's not like a 20-year-old. He's 23. He's been there. He's had plenty of caps. But not a load of, not as many caps you think. He's been in every squad. He's not actually been capped much. So in terms of international experience, he's not had many caps, and that's why he hasn't had his moment. There's not many starts. So I yeah. don't. I think it's too harsh on him to say he have not done anything. Mate. And 23 <laughs> in the Irish setup is still very young. It's not like it's not like you're chucking him in playing him week in week out at 20 years old anyway, are you? So and if he's the long-term solution. And I think it just is a, a Jimmy, a, we love the Jimmy George Hartley analogy. That's all it is. Like when he's 24, 25, he'll be starting week in week out. And yeah, yeah. well, Paddy Patterson might have something to say about that, but <laughs> that's, the, that's the only, that's the only thing you run the risk of. I think we spoke about it a bit at 10 with Ross Byrne. You know, the timing of it was he kind of came through when Conor Murray was still at his peak. Um, had to kind of do the apprenticeship, like we said, with Jamie George Dylan Hartley style. But the, the you run the risk that by the time it's your time, you're 25, you're 26, and there's another guy coming through the ranks. And because you're not an established nine, the youth player takes over from you. Yeah, but. and a good conversation for that is Ross Byrne, who, funny enough, I looked up, and there's only 27, 28 in April. Like, Ross Byrne, it, the way things are going... You kind of said Ireland might need a placeholder when Sexton goes for a couple of years. It's not as simple as Sexton done, Crowley in, yeah, or whoever. It's it's very much. It might be someone for a couple of years, and then the long term solution once he's fully developed. Yeah, but what do you feel about Ross Byrne's performance? Because it, it was bang on. He he played well, even his I think a couple of kicks, and that's yeah. very unlike Ross Byrne, but. His actually in play game was good. You know, that 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 first drive for you, Keenan, lovely hands to release Mac Hansen, who showed great hands again, who really we have to give credit. Mac Hansen did have an absolute stormer. I was thinking when I gave him a match, oh and then I looked it back, and he just had so many little great little touches here, there, there, everywhere, and just everything he done was correct. And yeah, yeah. Fantastic player. I think, yeah, no, touching on Ross Byrne, like you said, I think he's a great link player. I think, you know, he knows the plan. He knows the plays or like the back of his hand, it looks like sometimes. And 
you know, soft hands where he needs it, quick hands where he needs it. He can do a skip cap, skip pass. I think he's got all the qualities you need from a 10. Like, you need the nuts and bolts. He's a great kicker. He's got all of this stuff. The difference is he's just not that guy who looks like if the, you know, if the back's against the wall, he's going to grab the ball, beat a man, and just do something a bit mavericky. It doesn't look not like that's quite Yeah, his... he's not a highlight real player. No. And, but Sexton's and... not a highlight real player. But I think Sexton's developed it over his, over over time. Like he's got that give and go now, which is a bit of a trademark for him, and he can score tries off that. And he's done a lot; scored a lot of tries off it. Um, and he can kind of dictate plays where he actually runs a bit in it. I think for me, Ross Byrne dictates plays like a ten should, but it's very much linking it off to one of his centers or you know a floating Matt Canson on the shoulder, that sort of thing, rather than him kind of you know, playing it off a forward and then then going himself. It doesn't look like that's his style. but And that's that's a stylistic thing. That's not a, a discredit to his ability. I think um, he's just another good option to have. And I think when you look, when you're talking about a stopgap player, a kind, of, a kind of player that might come in for a couple of years and just maintain the level you're at, I think Rossburn offers that solution perfectly. He's not going to try and reinvent the wheel when he comes into the team. He understands his position. And when he's in the team, he makes these plays. And I think he made, he was part of the catalyst that made the centres and Matt Canson in particular look so good in that game because he's just so willing to just offload it at the perfect time. His timing's brilliant. He understands how to, you know, kind of play with the opposition's defence. And and that's not through running or through his own maverick style. It's just through making plays, drilling. It's like he's in a training game. It's just drill after drill after drill. And that's perfect. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, and... The chat now, we're very getting very close to the World Cup. I think he's the man. Like, there's no more time to test, to try. It'll be sex in the last two games, win the slam, a couple of warm up games, and you're in it. So he's the man that will play a lot of the. You got to think these guys are playing all the group games other than Scotland, South Africa. So plenty of rugby these boys need to play and get the jobs done. And Ross Byrne, you're the chosen one, which to many, he wasn't 12 months ago. So that just shows form, play. And obviously playing with, and a winning team at Leinster has really helped him, but he wouldn't be in that team if he wasn't good enough because he would have got dropped by his brother. He would have got dropped by Frawley. Exactly. There's so many good players and he's got something about him, which is like, I'm never going away. Um, He's got good mentality, really, really good. And just because he's not flashy, I think sometimes he gets too much, maybe unfair yeah. criticism. Yeah. But no, overall, great from Ireland. The thing, you said about centres being good, I thought Aki was good in attack, but you could tell him and McCluskey were both 12s in defence. Yeah. I think I think that's a worry now. You need Guy Ringrose and Robbie Henshaw back for Scotland, England, because they were they both, um, yeah, they, they were good in attack and they'll always be good and big big Stu McCluskey set up one of the hands and tried nice hands and Aki showed good offloading skills and they, they're both in attack. Those both, both boys are class and I think You've got your four centres locked in now. But in defence, you could kind of tell without the general of Gary Ringrose, the glue, You, it was interesting taking him out of there and just, yeah, especially people like yeah. James Lowe just not having their... It was interesting now with, when you take Ringrose out of that side, what that backline defence like and people like Lowe and all not having that solidity of Gary inside. It, it, it's amazing what that guy can do in defence. I know... Driscoll this week's been speaking really highly that like his defensive IQ, even though sometimes he doesn't make shots, the way he like turns his shoulders and all these little tiny, tiny minute details, he was saying like he is it's not normal. It's like abnormally good reading 
And it's just, that it's just is, as much I about... I think that's why you put it down to them, how much success Italy had. So, and yeah. slam. It, it comes down to not sex. They're not coming back. It's Ringo's coming back, in my yeah. opinion. That's huge. I think, yeah, like you said, it's not as much about making big shots as it's about not creating gaps for the opposition to, you know, exploit. And maybe that's what Aki and, and McCluskey have a downfall. Just as a partnership, I think they're both great 12s. But like you said, is it is that a bit of a concern for you then going forward? The fact that if Ring Rose isn't fit, there maybe isn't that specialist 13. There isn't particularly that a defensive, special, yeah. Particularly a defensively Edge orientated one. Enshaw plays predominantly 12 and he's playing with Ring Rose. Yeah, it's three 12s and a 13 and a couple that can play 13. Yeah. Henshaw's the best 12 and Henshaw's the second best 13. And we were at a stage where Henshaw was the best 12 and 13, yeah. which, you would, <laughs> which you wouldn't get at most at countries. That is absolutely crazy international level to be the best there and there. But it would be conversations. Oh, Lawrence might be the best 12 and 13 currently in England. So, <laughs> well, well, Park Ireland there, yeah. Big time, those boys need to come back. Not because McCluskey and Aki are playing bad, but need a specialist for a team. Yeah. Um, but in attack, Aki was carving up and he showed what he can do with his little offload game and stuff. And he, it's worrying if he doesn't solve his issues at Connett because he can't just not play now until the summer. And I don't think Connett have many ties that they will, they, if, if the issue's still there, they'll freeze him out, which is. The upper 13s around provinces that they'll be excited by that, but yeah, Aki needs to get playing. But definitely see him go back to New Zealand playing for his local club. That's the type of thing he'd do <laughs> and just keep keep himself ticking over. But oh god. So uh, the big news, the big news that has dropped is George Ford's come in for preparation for France and Marcus Smith's been sent back to Harlequins. Mark Smith as a fantasy rugby player who put Mark Smith on the bench, who has been faultless, Harvey, so far to Six Nations. Um, that was really disappointing. You're about Marcus Smith or your fantasy rugby career? Both. But for 15 <laughs> seconds, um, him and Henry Arundel, it felt, ugh, I don't know. Is that not more of a kick in the teeth to say, go on and then come off? Is that not worse? And, does, and I've, Straight after that, I said George Ford's coming back. You knew if you don't trust your bench, in a, but I understand tight games, no risk. So you get, let's get this one. Marcus Smith's a match winner. He's not like he won't. He's a match winner of a moment, but he's not like let's kick the corners, let's grind it out like a Rossburn. Yeah, I was literally about to. That was that was going to be my line. It was. And how crazy is that that we're now talking about Rossburn at a level above Marcus Smith? Does that sum up sport? But it's, you say that, it's, but it's not necessarily, and I think this is the best thing Borthwick has installed in this team, is it's not necessarily about ability. I think if you match them up ability on ability, Marcus Smith is a better 10 than Ross Byrne. But in a setup, in a team, in a tactic, in a squad, Ross Byrne offers, and exactly what George Ford will do, offers a much more utilitarian option as a 10 to bring on. Because we don't need the match winning 10, you know, almost, well, there might be examples where we do need it, but you can only have one 10 on the bench unless the 10 can do other things. So you, there's no way you can just have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C on the bench. It doesn't work. So you have to pick one. And I think your smarter option and your better option and the guy that you can sit on the touchline and look at and go, lad, I want you to go on and close this game out. 
George Ford's going to listen to you. Marcus Smith's going to do it for the first four phases. And on the fifth one, he's going to sit there, hick step, and then try and do a little grubber through because you know that's what he's like. But this is a guy now, Harvey, you were fully on the train. No, I'm, I, I still think Marcus Smith is an incredible talent. And this isn't the end of him. I still think the guy's got a future in this England side. Is he a bit, is he the young difference is, at the minute? Yeah, just because of the way he is, because of the style of rugby he plays, if you're not going to play him for the entire match and and encompass the entire tactic around him, it doesn't work. He's not a support player. He never will be. He's the kind of player who orchestrates. You just give him the playbook and he makes it the rules up himself, a bit like a Finn Russell at Scotland. Finn Russell isn't the kind of guy that is going to sit on the bench for Scotland and come on and close the game out. Never will be. He's the guy, that he, and Marcus Smith's the exact same. He comes on, he starts the match, he orchestrates things. You listen to him, which I don't think the England players were doing when they were in that side. Um, and yeah, but he, he just doesn't fit the system right now that we're trying to install. That's what I think. But the, the thing is, when they tried to move a system and work a system around him with Eddie Jones, it wasn't working too. But because Owen Farrell is undroppable. And this Owen is Farrell I mean. is more than just what Owen Farrell does on the pitch, because every single coach picks Owen Farrell. So yeah. he's got some sort of aura about him. And I think if we went into Camp Harv, we'd come out going, We love Farrell, we love Farrell, obey Farrell, <laughs> Farrell, where do you want me? Farrell, where do you want me? Yeah. Farrell, I'll dive at those kneecaps for you. And he, he just is that type of player. But it's because yeah. If he's getting picked by everyone, there's something about him. And they made him captain, and they, they said, you're a fly half and you're captain. And it was then game over for Marcus Smith before a ball was kicked. Yeah, I think it's and also... Nick Evans is the attack coach. His Harlequins coach, his Harlequins backs coach is the England attack coach. And still, Borthwick has... Which shows how much kind of Borthwick's identity is across the side, because I'm sure Nick Evans would have... Been licking his lips to have a go with Marcus Smith, but that's that's crazy because I when I heard Nick Evans, I thought, Here we go, Marcus Smith's gonna be reborn. But I, I'm not yeah. when you think back to the Lions tour and his form coming into that line, like it didn't look like this guy was gonna dip. <clears throat> to be honest, it's a score completely. And I don't, it's harsh, but I don't think it matters what he does at Quinn's because you know he's gonna go back, truck up ace to haze and go step on the outside and do a crossfield kick and score in the corner and do his big, do his big fist pump. <laughs> And I don't think that matters because if he if you're not going to do it international level, and me and Zach were joking before about it being two different sports, and the international rugby is so much different. And yeah. it's he's he's been Ollie Lawrence, and Ollie Lawrence has come back, so it will be interesting if Mark Smith could come back too, because he's got all the talent, all the attributes, and it just is it's bad timing for him at the minute. I think the thing Marcus Smith has to do. And the only way he gets in this side with Farrell, whilst that Farrell is still a current and not a retired player, is he has to make himself undroppable. A bit like what Farrell did. You have to just make yourself not an option to be on the bench. You have to be starting. And I think the performances he had in the England jersey, albeit weren't terrible, but they weren't the Marcus Smith we used to at Quinn's. They weren't the same player. And like you said, they're two different sports, so that's understandable. But the point is... You're, he Borthwick's installed the difference between Borthwick and the latter part of Eddie Jones is he's installing a system and that system doesn't involve the 10-12 combo that Eddie Jones did 
and the, that's the that's the reason Marcus Smith played. He wanted two tens. He played Farrell at twelve. That's how it worked. Um, and Borthwick clearly doesn't want to do that. He did it right in the first game, but I think that was more due to injury than anything. Um, and we can start to see his system coming through now. And that system involves a crash ball twelve, a nice link thirteen, and Farrell at ten. And Marcus Smith does not fit into that side. He's definitely ever, never going to play at thirteen. He's not big enough, and he's not defensively aware enough to be a thirteen. So he can't fit that role. And he's not going to play 10 whilst Farrell's fit and in the form he's in. So, and it doesn't even matter about form because, but like you said, because of the leadership qualities Farrell has, I think if you take him out of the side, you lose that off the pitch stuff as well as you do. Even on the pitch stuff, just communication in general. I think Farrell is the general, isn't he? He's the commander. And I think you can't take him out of the side, even if he's not as good, maybe technically as Smith in some some instances. You just have to play Farrell. That's how it is. Well, Farrell had about four big defensive plays, turnovers, holding people up. Like he He's not exploitable at all as a 10. He's 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 an asset. You don't want to run down his channel and name another 10 in the world that you, yeah. you avoid and you go for 12. And at 12 you've got Ollie Lawrence. I don't know if you've seen the Ollie Lawrence hit where he absolutely minced him out the sky. When he came straight down, bang. And I went, wow, this guy is pumped to play international rugby again. Um, and then you got Henry Slade, who we've always been Henry Slade fans in this pod and never really gets the airtime he deserves, but we're all having him in our Lions team. We're like, what? He's not in it. So yeah. look at that. It's it's tough to get into defensively. And Smith can't go away and work on his defence because he's never going to be a dominant shot man and he's never he needs to work on his kicking game but he's not going to go back to Queens and start kicking the corners every phase because he wants to get picked for England so that narrative of what's going to happen there is crazy because George Ford and Farrell debatably could squeeze out another cycle yeah they could I think like you said though like Smith you know we're, we're comparing him to Ford at this moment because Ford's obviously the one that's come into the squad and taken his position and Ford is very similar to Smith in terms of profile, is probably quite weak defensively. A lot of people exploit him. They will run down the channel when Ford's on the team. But the difference, like we've spoke about previously, is Ford will just do what you tell him. You give him a script and he runs it. And that's what he does. And he does it really well. But he's also a great kicker. He's a great in-play kicker as well as off the tee. I think he just offers a much more secure solution if you want to just close out last 10 minutes or even just progress on, you know, replace an injury, replace whatever. I think he just offers you a better option for someone that you can mould. And, you know, he might be an older player, he might be whatever, but Borthwick's familiar with him. It's much more of a better solution for Borthwick. And I think fair play. Don't listen to the media. Don't listen to the hype that people want. You know, and I'd love to see Smith in England show. I always get excited whenever I see him in one. But ultimately, we're here to win matches. Ireland, England are here to win matches. It's no, there's no, you know, there's no charity caps or anything like that. So no, give Ford Smith's the option. Be the best. Smith's going to win England the World Cup or Smith's not going to go to the World Cup. There was no in-between for Marcus Smith. It was as simple as that because if they if they put the whole game plan around him, did a Finn Russell that Scotland have done, he's a bit like a young Finn Russell, the fact that he's got all the skills to unlock but just needs to work on that game management, which we'll get on to. Finn Russell has pretty locked down now. And then the magic moments will then win you games. So he'll be back. He'll be back. But when no back is the big question. And Give itself hard, scrappy, but job done. And to be honest, England were always in control, but just weren't able to, you know, just like put the foot down, get a bonus point, get out of there. But scrape through and get the job done. And this is credit to Borthwick 
and he's had he's had good fixtures now since Scotland, but they needed that bonus point if they were wanting to be in the mix come of Eva. Because yeah. they may have to beat Ireland by a bonus point and deny Ireland anything. And then a bit of points difference. Like it that's tough to ask. Yeah. And, I think... Scott, and then we need Scotland to do them a favour in terms of maybe beating them or denying a bonus point. And if they just kept up, get another bonus point could have been a bit more in touch. Yeah, I think like well, you they said, are five back, but you know, four back. Yeah, I know. Like you said, I think well, the losing bonus point against Scotland was probably might might be more handy than we needed. Yeah, that's what I'm we just thought. Saying, yeah. But um, but the point is, like you said, um, it was yeah. I, I maybe it's blasphemous to say this. Blasphemous to say this that I don't think England's goals going into the Six Nations were to win it. Um, I think the way the fixtures are, and also the fact that we know we've not played the two hardest teams which we've got coming up now, which is going to be interesting. Um, I don't think we're and it in needs contention. to be bonus point, bonus point, big yeah, scores. I don't think we're in contention to win the Six Nations. I don't think we ever were. Um, it's a building Six Nations. That's what it is for us at the moment. Um, and not one of these weird ones that we always had the excuse with Eddie Jones because, you know, only plays four, once for every four years. Um, you can see the system starting to come in. And I think this game was just an epitome of that. You know, you still got to have a bit of context. You know, we're away at the Principality and we beat them. Um, for a lot of years, I know Wales are in horrendous situation at the moment, but for a lot of years, that's been a massive task that we've not been able to achieve. So in that regard, it's a good win. It's a positive. And like you said, I think we look secure. I don't think we ever looked like we were going to lose the match. Um, you know, a runaway try from Zamet was pretty much the only thing that kept them in it. So it was, yeah, I think it's things to build on. We still don't have that full fluidity. You know, we can't just kill teams like Ireland and France do. Um but at the end of today, still scored three tries by the end of it all. Yeah, we were only, you know, we didn't quite get the bonus point, but life's not perfect. I think yeah, it was Lawrence, certainly some building. Lawrence Smith looked like the partnership. You got Ford now to come on and close on games. Farrell. The question for me is, and I've been banging the drum for a long time and looking him up, five years of age, like plenty of juice left in the tank. Alex Mitchell's knocking on the door, seriously knocking on the door. His service is quick. And I know Van Portfleet is weird, like so weird that such a young nine is like a box kicking Colmery yeah. <laughs> Ben Youngsy nine. That's what he is, and that's what Portfleet wants to play. But it's growing up and being around Ben Youngs since he was yeah. probably sixteen in the environment. I think like, I think defensively Jack Van Portfleet's quite good as well. He's got a decent chop on him. Um for a nine anyway. He's, he's, yeah, he is that type of character. So I think style wise it makes sense to start him, but Mitchell now is like going to be getting them on quicker and quicker, and especially these next two games for Ireland, where they probably need to have a go at Ireland and France. It could be a complete style change, and they could go with Mitchell, and that will show Borfix versus for courses. But I think Mitchell's nailed in now. Ben Youngs is, yeah, struggling big time. And then you think, is there a point in bringing Ben Youngs as a third choice nine, or do you bring a Rafi Quirk when he comes back fully fit to then use him for the next cycle? If you are completely building and you're in genuine talks, Ben Young's missing the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, no, I think I think you still have to have Ben Young's in the squad. I think he, what he offers off the pitch, even if you play him as a third and he knows he's the third choice, I think you still take him. I think he just offers too much leadership and, and maturity. Too. I, I don't think you can walk around with three nines all below the age of 25. That just seems mad to me. Um, that doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Um, I think you still need him in there because no matter how England are playing, he'll always come on and give you a short performance. He might not be as exciting as much of a game changer as Mitchell or Portfleet at times 
but he's still definitely a quality nine. And I think he has to be in that squad. I think you can only put, you can't take Rafi, Mitchell and Jack Van Portfleet. I think one of them has to fall and it looks like it's Rafi at the moment, maybe more due to injury than anything. But I think the main, yeah, I think what you said, like Mitchell obviously came on, had a huge impact in this game. You saw it, I think it was against Italy as well. Beautiful supply for Henry Aradell to go over. So um, the guy's definitely got, that little spark in him that you need and that energy. And he, the thing I like about him is he loves to just take the ball out of the ruck and just do things with it. He's not just a stock, play the ball, work from there, or snipe as the only two options. He he can float with it a little bit, which maybe is a bit dangerous at times, but he just seems like he has that rugby IQ. He's got that vision that you need as a nine. Um, and Marcus Smith would have been interested now, but yeah, he's not going down that road. Simple as that. No, but I think, no, I still think though, you just, yeah. There's there's more than enough quality in there, and I think yeah you might you might be right, Tough. You might have called it, mate. Alex Mitchell style might be the big, might be a huge huge call from Borthwick, and it might be the, you know, the hidden arsenal, the hidden weapon. I don't know if Van Portfleet's had the game. We talk about Craig Casey having the game. Has he had the game to say I'm the nine, or is it kind of just his age, his profile, and he's playing all right? He's maintaining the jersey. Well, I remember he came, he came on at night, didn't he? And scored within like ninety seconds or something mental. Like he got the ball, picked it up, like pretty much, pretty much picked and goed it like a forward, and just and <laughs> England were a try. struggling, England were losing, and it was kind of like <laughs> and he start and he did start. Yeah, and then but then obviously the difference is I think we then went and played in New Zealand and he had an absolute shock and came off at half time, got the shepherd took and Dan. Danny Kerr got pulled and he came on and was decent and that was kind of, that turn was really good for him but that was yeah. more out of England struggling and him looking good when England are on pop now he needs another he, he's one he, he needs that needs that yeah. I'm the man game or maybe he doesn't if he's got the personality that he's, I know as a pretty egotistical player back in my day I would always call myself I needed to be I need to have the man moment and Interesting about that. Yeah, well, I think it's been think? it's been a good tell of character that he had that game against New Zealand that was frankly shocking, and has come back and 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 cemented himself still as a as a first team nine for England. So he clearly wasn't too faced by it, or he's managed to deal with it, which is a good sign. Um, but yeah, no, an interesting proposition, definitely. Lolly Lawrence getting the try. We've given him enough love. Um, nailed on, yeah. and then courtesy we don't. Focus on the pack a bit, but Chesham looks good. Toji looks good. Laws has to come in somewhere. So Six. Laws, and I seen a stat that Laws actually never play second row. There was some crazy <laughs> stat that he's played six. Or yeah. Like it was a handful of games for Northampton at five in the last couple of years. Never mind seasons. Like he is a six. And I don't know why people always think, ah, oh, the corner in the second row, but no, he's a six. I think so. you're honestly seeing a situation where, for me, you play, you play Chessman and Toje, and I've been, I, I'm fully on board with just building those two as a partnership, and just because there's so much age behind them, but there's also this like maturity behind the both of them. I think you just you have to go with them, and then if you're playing Laws as well, that is a very very tall pack. Because Curry came on and had a huge steal at a huge time, yeah. and it was but, remember me. But for me, and this is maybe controversial, you start Jack Willis and you bring on Curry as the sub seven or six, depending on who's fit, whoever's feeling right. Just let them right. battle it out for the seven jersey for the next few yeah. months. And, and then you play Don Brandt at eight. That's, that's my back line. That's my back row. Um, I think that's how you run it. And, and I just think... finally, 
I've I know we haven't touched on Wales much, but Wales had a really tough week. No one was ever going to blame Wales for this. Wales are in a dark period. Does Gatlin now? I mean, it's maybe more for the preview next week, but just go pure youngsters. Have nothing to lose. Because Sam Warburton on the Rugby Daily podcast, Bobby Weekly, sorry, um, at the weekend reviewing the game said, no Welsh player is nailed on. And then I started thinking, who currently right now in that starting team is actually nailed on? And he's right. Like, name a player that's actually nailed on because bigger now is a wee bit in and out. They changed their nines. They've gone for a new centre partnership. Louis Zamet got Cuthbert came in for him in the autumn. Lee Halfpenny hasn't exactly grabbed the 15 jersey since coming back into the side. He said the only one that when they fully fit is Josh Adams. And I was like, that's a yeah. huge, huge statement. And he said, to be fair, like Joe Hawkins looks like he's nailed that 12 jersey. But like that statement sums up where Welsh rugby is. You can't throw out four or five guaranteed starters. And I, it's now does Gatlin just go pure and pick it literally last year's under 20 team to join Mason Grady. He looks good and big, but again, needs experience and Hopkins and and just start to build that squad, or does he continue with this kind of kind of experience, kind of young? It's because we've always said if they can squeeze through the group, they can win a quarter easy enough if it's England, and then job done, rebuild rebuild time. That I think always was the mentality, but now you look at it I and just... go, do you just go pure youngsters? I really don't know what you do because, like you said, unfortunately for Wales at the moment, they're rotten from within. Like the core is just shaken and it's not due to their own fault. It's what's going on. It's everything. And who I think whoever you pick will be cast by the same plague that the first team players you're seeing right now are cast by. And I think it's just going to be a case of wearing yourself through this period, trying to pick up as many positives as you possibly can riding on the hope of Gatland and hoping that something clicks or someone can rise from the ashes sort of thing and drag this team out of it. Because at the moment, I, it's really hard and maybe it's a closed-minded mindset, but it's it's hard to see how Wales get out of this because you've got a decent quality team. It's not like they're in absolute turmoil where everyone's 36 and no one wants to play. Well, they probably don't want to play, but you've got good quality players. It there shouldn't be any reason that they haven't scored over 10 points in any of their games yet. This see this six nations, they scored 10 points, this seven points, good. 10 points. It's like, and in an international rugby game, that's pretty dreadful. Um, and yeah, I just think, I don't know. I really don't know what to offer for Wales. And maybe that's, you know, a bit of a doomsday. I'm, thing, I'm but... down the road of just school youth. And you looked at France in the 2019 world cup. Looked really exciting, got through the group, played wheels, were really exciting. Then they got a red card and they lost. And like Dupont and Intermac, I will have learned so much from that game that they're going to now be in another quarterfinal. No, we need to keep our heads here. And I think that's the approach Wales have to take now is maybe just give up that quarterfinal by playing the youngsters. And as France showed, if, if they have enough magic, they can win it. And I don't think it's everyone now. I think Liam Williams, Josh Adams, these guys can find a place. But there's a few of the older guard that could maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel. And funny, Gatlin said this when he got the job. He wasn't happy with the age profile and he looks bang on. And he never really is wrong. And interestingly, no one's really going after Gatland. 
which is interesting from Gatland. He's playing this nicely. Like, who is saying it's Gatland's fault? I know it's pretty obvious what the issues and stuff, but he's coming. I think he's kind of inherited it, hasn't he? He's he's not really. Maybe he was, you know, the start of it back when he was in his first tenure. But yeah, he's, um, he's seen it all. Uh, he understands it. It was rising, and if he comes back, that will dominate headlines, and then he can try and get squad right. But no, it's and to be fair, it's been a bit criticism somehow he's responded to it, and maybe not said the right things. And uh, it's, it's a nightmare situation for him. But at the same time, at least people aren't going after his head and saying we need another coach. No, you're not improving things. Like no one's saying that. They understand it's the bigger. Yeah. I think but, you're uh, after wheels, Jesus if you again, want someone. Just didn't, just didn't ever look like threatening of it, and then scored an intercept. It was. Yeah, that side to lose two big games, principality. That's on Welsh like they usually turn up against someone, Ireland or England, and get and turn them over. So in the final game, slam, 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 over for Scots. But 19 0 down, red card down, then another red card, then Scotland came back within a score, and then France pulled away. Simple as that. Scotland left too much to do. I know they came back, but the 19 points. They could just keep it a swing and a shot for shot game. They're well in amongst it. Before we get on to the Scots, I've hinted that France are holding things back the Six Nations and just using their genuine star power to get through games to save stuff for the World Cup. And I've, I saw it again there. And the star power this time was enough to come through. And yeah, they want people to write them off. I think LTA could be playing a, a world-class card here, but it is incredibly risky because Ireland, start, the wheels started coming off pre-2019 World Cup and we see what happened. But at the same time, like they're still only lost one game and their <coughs> favourites probably to go to Wickenham and win. All is yeah. still okay and the championship's still alive with that last-minute VQ bonus point. So France confused me. I don't know what they're doing because they're not what they were 18, 12 months ago. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's it's weird, isn't it? Maybe it is just a... They just look a bit chaotic again. They just look a bit scrappy. Um, but they're so good and they're just so... They're just so, like, just... I don't even know what, how to explain it. They just know how to win games and they just know what to do. Um, and... The fast start, like you said, was the difference maker. I think Scotland didn't wake up for the first 20 minutes. And then after that, like you said, that you left far too much to do at the start of France. But it's it's more, I don't know. Um, they've definitely still got that quality, but they just don't have that ruthlessness, that like that maturity that I think scared us all last Six Nations, where it was very much had all the flair and the charisma that you'd expect from a French side, but also they just had that like Sean Edwards grit that just, you know, when we need to just shut up shop, we can. doesn't look like that's quite there this year, but like you said, maybe it is a, I don't, I don't want to speculate saying it is like a, you know, they're holding anything back because I just don't see how you can do that in, in it's, top level sport a, like this. Yeah, but it's a lazy, it's, it's a throwaway comment, but like Eddie Jones, you know, all about the World Cup, all about the World Cup. And you're like, all right, so it doesn't matter if you lose. It does. It's Six Nations. They wanted, they wanted to go back to back. They wanted to go on a mad run. But I said, they, like when they started going on their journey for the slam last year, I'm like, now they have to win every single game for two years if they want to win it. So, well, they could lose And it's it looking like right now that they've only lost, well, they've lost once in 19 months. So when we get around to the World Cup, it might just be one loss in two years. 
and it's never in Paris. It's never in the Stade de France, which they're playing in. So it's exactly. not it's not a concern, but it's not like they're not like yeah. The Twickenham game obviously will previews next week, but that game now, that's gonna be make a break. And if they come big, and say we're back and we're Ireland, or ask for England to do a favour in the last game, which could happen, you know, spoil the Grand Slam party. You know, you're licking your lips at that one, nothing to lose other than spoil the Grand Slam party. Ireland did it before to England. It's fun. It's a fun thing to do. Sure so, is. Um. Yeah, France are an interesting side and not quite clicking, but still getting wins, which probably is more scarier. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, like you said, Demortier has probably been a good positive for them to bring in just another winger. What? Who did they have on the wing? Was it Villers? Gavin Villers or something like that last year? And Dante's the big miss at 12. Dante yeah. had a class Six Nations last year. So they are missing, you're already right, they're missing personnel. They're missing... Yeah. I know they've got an off X factor, but yeah, Villiers and But they've Dante, still got that, you know, the mature class in. of just Gail Ficku, absolute wonder of a player. Honestly, I wish we had him at 13. I love Slady, but Jesus Christ, Gail Ficku is, is world class. Um, yeah, no, they've, they've just got so much talent, so much depth. I just think, I think, I still firmly believe that if everything clicks for them and, you know, they have their players fit, the core squad, they run away with this World Cup. But, you know, it's it's definitely food for thought, the chaotic nature, the, the, the erraticness of them, this, this Six Nations. Um, but like you said, the main point is they're still scoring a ton of tries. They're still winning games, you know, one bad loss. But honestly, you're playing the best team in the world at their home stadium. What do you kind of expect? Um, still and... carved. Still carved and caused issues were in the game late. No. Exactly. And what about, what about Scotland then to wrap up? Scotland... Played fire with fire. Finn Russell, he threw an intercept, but then created about three tries on his own. Like, the man is... He actually watched his kicking game as well, just, like, finding the corners and scanning and putting kicks in behind. He is as red-hot as he's ever been. And I, I'm not about the World Cup, but, like, South Africa and Ireland are going to be scared. And now the whole game plan for next, next game week is stopping Finn Russell for Ireland because he's that good. But... Yeah, no, definitely. Sometimes, again, is it too much for him to do? I know Hugh Jones has massively stepped up the Six Nations and someone was putting up a, a try score. His try rate is crazy, crazily good. Like, nearly a try every other game at international level. Yeah, you talk about centre-fly-half partnerships. Jesus, he, those, two have, those two have really built something. Um, and Hugh Jones just hitting off that hard line. And also, to Bloto, just quality, quality player. Um, and he really links that. It's weird because they kind of have that like try score at thirteen, and then that link player at twelve. But but then he's, he's also explosive, and he's he's a bit crash ball as well. It's a bit he's run. He's run past kick. He one of them. He could do it all. So yeah, the week rubber against England. Yeah, and then this is all about Darcy Graham as well. Who was the best winger in the Northern Hemisphere before he got injured? And then Duan Duan had a quiet one, which is probably normal. I was got on the fantasy because. <laughs> You can't just be like he was the first two weeks every week. And then, yeah, we're chatting hoggy. And then in the pack, losing Gilchrist was huge. It just meant they had so, they had so much extra work to do. And Watson yeah. then getting taken off straight away. That'll be interesting how that goes. He could tell in his face he wasn't happy. But what, why would you? You've just returned. You know, mm. a, lot of, a lot of chat about Christy taking your spot. And he just wanted to have one of his 
Hamish Watson being bang bosh games and he got taken off. So although the red card was evened up, Scotland lost important personnel because the red card, as France did, which then meant the game, if you play it again, would be completely different with a full set of cards. So it was a really tough game to analyse because those two red cards and the moment 19-0 and meant them all over the place. But Scotland, to not get a losing bonus point, makes now the championship hard because, as we keep saying, Ireland just keep winning with a bonus point. So Yeah, no, from a point scoring perspective. Like if Scotland got a losing bonus point and then beat Ireland by a bonus point, they're in the mix then come finals day. Even if Ireland win, but now they probably need to beat Ireland and hope England beat Ireland. And Scotland then need to need to get the job done in, the, in their in their last two games. But the championship championships more than on and more realistic. It's not even realistic because then to beat Ireland is it's on. But the triple crown is there at Murrayfield, sitting there, and all they have to do is beat Ireland. So this Six Nations is still so much to play for. But to not come away with anything must be so hard for the Scots because. They so nearly got a losing bonus point. And I said, out there in a losing bonus point, and then win your last two, they've yeah. won the Six Nations, and or at least there thereabouts. To not do that is... And that's testament to Ireland. Just keep picking up the bonus points, keep pulling away, because they needed that. They needed a point, and to not get one. But still so many positives, and... Yeah. It was just great mentality If it was in Murrayfield, it would have been interesting in that game, because, like... I don't know. Well, again, yeah. we'll get onto it maybe that maybe this, the early start was the difference maker in terms of what venue they're in. That's why it happened. Um, but it was great mentality from France as well. You got to give them credit. Like they could have easily just taken the three, but they identified they needed the bonus point. They wanted to pull away from Scotland, went to the corner and just made it work. And fair play to them, Gelfiku rolling over in the 80th minute. Um, it was yeah. One thing for sure, no matter what happened with the red cards and everything, it was a very entertaining game. It was a proper test match and it was maybe a bit of a chaotic one, but that's what you'd expect from a France-Scotland game. And it was, yeah, you it offered that line Look at that line that, Scott, that went loose with like five to go with Scotland within a score and then France got the other side of the pitch and score. And I think that just sums up what the two sides are at the minute. Scotland are still, <clears throat> still building, still... Like a lot of the chat was, yeah, they had their two good wins, but they're against two sides that they were having their like first two games of their new coach to do yeah. it against an Ireland or a France, and then they nearly did it. But that is just classic Scotland, and they don't want that tag anymore. But it is that they were so close, and I always said that the Paris game was just a give it a crack and hopefully come away with a point or a win. The big question is next week because they should be beating Ireland at home for the Triple Crown at Murrayfield if they want to be talked about as proper contenders in the Six Nations. That's the game. They're at home. That's the coming-of-edge game that we are here. We're not just going to the World Cup to get out of our group. We're going to the World Cup to win the World Cup. That's huge. Yeah, we'll get on to that next week. But no, Harv, you're, you're still... still impressed with Scotland anyway you have they've not lost your respect in a week no definitely not definitely not I think Finn Russell is still an absolute maestro over 10 um I think anyone would be lucky to have a player like him and generally just they still have that confidence I don't think this will knock their confidence either I think they've got to take a bit of context obviously they'd be annoyed to not come away with the point but ultimately a great performance with what they had in front of them and yeah just I think it'll just be one of those where you know They've got to look ahead now. It's a huge, huge game. And we'll obviously touch on it next week. But 
that will be one hell of a game to predict. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm sure the, sure the squads will be split on that. But no, big thanks again, Harv, for coming on. And Zach, we'll see you next week. Cheers, boys. And to anyone that's made it this far in the podcast, follow, follow us on all our platforms. Spotify at Tell For We Podcast, Twitter at Rugby Tell, Instagram Tell For We Podcast, even on TikTok nowadays, we're everywhere at the Tell For Rugby. So please, follow us everywhere and we'll catch you next week.